You're listening to Embarrassing Family, where we share our weirdest, wackiest, and wildest family stories. Hello, everyone. Today we have Greg Schwartz. He was born and raised in southeastern New York. He started doing stand-up two years ago as a result of a holiday gift from his wife for a comedy class. So, uh, Greg, I hear you have some interesting stories. Can you uh, tell me a few of them? I'll start with uh, my mom. Growing up, she used to tell everybody I was the mailman's kid. <laughs> I had two older brothers, and my oldest brother looks like my dad. The middle brother looks like my mom. I don't really look like either of them. So my mom always would tell people, Greg's the mailman's son. You know, as a young kid, I didn't know any better. But as I got older, and she would tell this to high school teachers. Oh, you God. Know, because, again, I was the youngest. So, you know, all these teachers had my brothers. They knew my parents. And she would come in and be like, oh, yeah, you know, Greg, he's the mailman's kid. I'm like, Mom, you're telling people that you are a slut, that you're, you're sleeping around, you're cheating on Dad, you've been banging the mailman, the milkman, whoever. I'm like, it's 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 really not a good look for you. No, it's not. That's her go-to. Yeah, he's the mailman's kid. And she still does it. I'm I'm 49. She still <laughs> tells people this. I was like, well, you know, gee, if if the mailman was really my father, like maybe I could have went to a better college. <laughs> Did she ever tell the mailman? No, I don't even think she ever saw the mailman. But <laughs> she used to just tell people this. This was her her go to. So apparently, my mom likes to tell people that she's a whore. So if when she told the mailman, she'd be like, "Hey, this is your kid. You better better start paying some child support there." Yeah, yeah exactly. Like. I'm like, yeah, we could have lived in a nicer house. Maybe when I was 16, I could have gotten the car I wanted Yeah. rather than a beat up old 87 Ford Escort with a huge rust smile on the side of the car. And mailman, they have a generous retirement package. They and, do. Yeah. You know, good, good pension. And I'll take a DNA test if necessary. Get some of those benefits. Yeah. Maybe he's got a, a better will than my father's got. Who knows? You know, he'll cut me in. But yeah, that was my mom's big one was just always telling people that. So like I said, I'm 49. And so I've been hearing that for about 45 years. Oh, no. Yeah. My mom doesn't write new material. She just she just goes with the old standbys, apparently. Just keeps recycling the same jokes over and over. That's it. Yeah, that was the big one with my mom. I'll tell you, my dad was a bit more of an embarrassing person. Okay. My father has the physique of Homer Simpson. Oh, no. That's my dad's physique. Loves his donuts? Yeah, donuts, potato chips, cookies, whatever he got. I mean, he's not like hugely obese, but he's got that physique. You know, he's got the beer gut and he doesn't drink. Yeah. So my dad would come home from work and, you know, as a kid, you're always like, Dad, you want to go have a catch or throw a football around or, or go play bad, whatever. And my father, sure, let me just change out of my suit. And he'd, and he'd go change and he would come downstairs. Like his, it was like his after work uniform. It was the white T-shirt, sweatpants that were cut off into shorts. Oh, no. Black dress socks. Oh, God. And all white tennis shoes. And then he'd be like, OK, come on, let's go have a catch or, or let's go here. Or, Let, let's go out and get ice cream or whatever. And I'm like, I don't want to be seen with you. Like, <laughs> you look like you just stepped off a boat at Ellis Island 100 years ago. Not that the fashions of the 1980s were any better, but it still would have been better than the black dress socks and white tennis shoes that he was running around. So for a long period of time, I was like, I'm not going anywhere with you. And then my father... Like, he wasn't trying to embarrass me. It was just his general nature coming through. When he would drive my friends and I someplace, he's got the worst taste in music. Oy. It's one thing if he was listening to, like, the music that he grew up with in the 50s, you know, the, the, the Fifth Dimension, the Four Tops, Elvis. I could deal with that. He listened to show tunes, Broadway show tunes. Oh, no. That must have been fun for you and your friends. It was a horrible. And then he'd have to sing along with it. Oh, no, my God. He sung, too. It wasn't even like the good ones. Like he had like five go-to show tune tapes in the car. It was Phantom of the Opera, Les Mis, 
Man of La Mancha, Fiddler on the Roof, and Cats. So this this is what we listen to in the car. And so he put it on, and my friends and I are, are horrified. And then he starts singing along. And the problem is, when he would sing along to Fiddler on the Roof, he didn't realize it, but he'd be doing a Jackie, a Jackie Mason impersonation the whole time. That's a weird singing voice. It was hard because he was trying to be funny. Doesn't have the best sense of humor, but he would be trying to be funny. So he'd be like, what's the, uh, I don't even know the songs from Phantom of the Opera I've, or uh, of uh, Fiddler on the Roof. I've, I've blocked him out of my head. Um, like if I was oh, a like, rich man. Yeah, that's it. Thank if you. If I so was like, a rich man. If I was a rich man. Like he'd be doing like, but he'd be singing like Jackie Mason, like to the point where it didn't matter where we were. I'd be like, yeah, dad, this is good. Just let us out here. We'll walk the rest of the way. And he'd be like, we're in North Jersey. We're going to New York City. Like I'll hitchhike. I don't care. <laughs> I'll take my chances with an axe murderer. Like at least he won't be singing, you know, Fiddler on the Roof um, (laughs) or To Dream the Impossible Dream. So that was horrible. And then, you know, when you're younger and you go out, drink a little, and then you try to sneak into the house and maybe try to sneak in with somebody. (sighs) My dad was a light sleeper. Oh, no. And he slept in his underwear. Oh, God. (laughs) Even worse. And he's hairy. It's a trifecta there. Oh yeah, it's 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 just the father trifecta from hell. So it would be like you know you'd be at the front door, you're jingling with the keys, trying to get into the lock, and and that sound alone would be enough to wake him up upstairs. So you'd, you'd get the key in the lock, you turn the lock, and you open the door really quiet. You sneak in and you close the door, lock it again, and by the time you turn around, he's already flying down the stairs. <laughs> so when you're drunk and you've got people with you. And you're telling them, like, shh, be quiet. And then you look, and coming down the stairs is this six-foot man with the physique of Homer Simpson, covered in hair, in tidy whiteies, <laughs> flying down. It was like being attacked by Bigfoot in a diaper. And then my parents would be like, how come you never bring anybody over the house? Yeah, you wonder. I'm like, you wonder. I'm like, dad looks like an ape in a diaper, singing show tunes with Jackie Mason. And mom, you're telling everybody you're a whore sleeping with the mailman. And you want me to invite friends over to this, to this madhouse? Like... It doesn't work that way. Yeah, so that that, that was what it was like with my parents. Um, that that would be the worst of it. You probably wish your dad was the mailman. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, at that point. Like, yeah, no, this guy's just banging my mom. My dad, the real dad's at work delivering mail right now. No, I'm adopted. I'm a, I'm a foreign exchange student. I just live here for the semester. Like, that's almost what I started telling people. I'll give you another quick story about my dad. When I was 16 and I got the first six months of having my driver's license, I got a speeding ticket and I had to go to court. It was, I was doing 49 and a 30. And in New York in the first, I think it's like six months or 12 months of having a a driver's license. If you get a ticket, you could lose your license. And we go into court. I've never been to court before. My dad comes with me because I can't drive myself to court. Right. Cause yeah. And we're sitting there before I get called up and my father goes, listen, Trust me, plead guilty with an explanation. And I'm like, I've never heard it. It's, you're either guilty or not guilty. I didn't <laughs> know there was a third choice. So he goes, pleads guilty with an explanation and just tell the judge when he asks you what the explanation is, tell him you were on a hill. Okay. So I get up, judge goes, how do you plead? And my dad's standing next to me. I'm like, how do you plead? I'm like, guilty with an explanation. <laughs> The judge is confused. This guy's yeah. been a judge for 40 years. I don't think he's ever heard guilty with an explanation as a, as a plea before. And he goes, all right, what's the explanation? And I said, I was on a hill. And the judge looks at me and he goes, I know where you got pulled over. He goes, you were going downhill. Oy. And my father just looks at, looks at me and looks at the judge. And my father goes, yeah, he goes, uphill, downhill. It's still a hill. <laughs> That's true. 
and I'm like, it is. But when my license is hanging on the line, I'm like, shut the hell up. What the hell are you doing? I'm like, I don't need your help. Like this, you're not going to have a Perry Mason moment where at the end of like me talking to the judge, you're going to get like the judge to admit the cop was wrong. And, and I'm going to be like, let off. I'm like, just shut up. Like, yeah. And this is what he's telling me. I find out later. Uh, after the judge issues my sentence, which was just, I mean, it was fine. It was six months probation and 25 hours community service. Not a big deal. As we're walking out, I just look at my, my phone. I'm like, what the hell were you doing? And he goes, it's okay. Because I know the judge. <laughs> what? The judge had uh, children who were my brother's age and they played baseball together when they were younger. So my dad's like, yeah, he's like, Howie and I go back, you know, years and years. I'm like, you have to be a wise ass. You couldn't like just talk to him and get me off with no probation. I'm like, you know. So, yeah, you can just tell him. Right. Like, just ask the judge for an aside and go talk to him or, you know. Instead of making up that whole crazy story with the hill. I was like, right. I'm like, if you know the judge, why are you telling me to plead guilty with an explanation? Just something so insanely ridiculous. And I've, I, in the years since, I have friends who have become lawyers. And I've asked them, like, have you ever seen any or heard anybody plead guilty with an explanation? They have no clue what that is. None whatsoever. He just made it up. I, he just <laughs> wanted to make me look like an ass in front of a judge and in front of the entire courtroom just to, just to embarrass me. Yeah, my friend's a lawyer. He does a lot of um, driving, like speeding tickets, stuff like that. I have to ask if he's if he's ever heard that. I don't think he's ever had. I don't think any lawyer has ever heard that. I don't <laughs> think they teach that in law school. Or if they do, it's for the lawyers that just drive around following ambulances all day. Like, I don't think like real lawyers are... are you know, guilty with an explanation. I mean, if so, like, wouldn't that have been the better defense for OJ? Yeah, exactly. Right. Rather than just saying not guilty. And if, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. It's like, you know, your honor is guilty with an explanation. You're going to love this one and just make something up. I mean, who knows? Maybe we can stumble onto a whole new legal defense. Yeah. Maybe like a guy who murders his family be like, Hey, I, I had an explanation. So guilty with an explanation. She was sleeping with the mailman. You know, yep. There you go. And that's it. Reason enough, you know, you're free to go. You're acquitted. Your life. Yeah, you're acquitted. Not guilty. Bang the gavel. Case over. Yeah, those are some of the things that my parents did to uh, to embarrass me when I was younger. Yeah, I had two older brothers, so they certainly did their share of things, which uh, not so much embarrassing, but just, you know, toyed with me as a younger brother. Yep. I'm sure you're always uh, getting beat up as the, the younger brother. Oh, my God. Yeah, I would get, you know, the, my two brothers were a year apart. And then I'm, I'm five years and four years from my brothers. So my oldest brother would be like, go punch Gary or else I'm going to beat the crap out of you. So now it's like, great. It's a real Sophie's choice. Yeah, <laughs> go punch Gary and I have him beat me up. And, you know, my brother's like, no, it's okay. Go punch him and I'll protect you. Never, never got protected. Not. not once. Yeah, I remember my brother, like, you know, put me in a headlock and ran and stopped when my head went through the wall. Wow. You flew the wall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When my parents sold our house, my friends bought it. And I remember one day I was sitting at home and my friends were repainting and, you know, just renovating. And my friend calls me up. He goes, what the hell happened here? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, we're, we're repainting the upstairs, you know, the bedrooms and the hallway. He goes, how many holes did you guys put in the wall? <laughs> well, like, how many holes did you put in the wall? Having your head shoved through it. <laughs> the next time I went over to their house, I was just walking around. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, that hole was my knee. And I'm like, that was my brother's arm. He was trying to punch through the wall into my bedroom to get to me. That one at the bottom of the stairs, uh, that was when they put me in the hamper and threw the hamper down the stairs. I'm like, so I'm just pointing out like all, like every hole was like a different beating. Uh, <laughs> it's like a monument to your torture. <laughs> exactly. My friend's like, I think I need to get you into protective custody. I remember you know, one time 
uh, and again, this isn't so much embarrassing, but it's just another one of you know, your brothers just screwing with you because you're there for their entertainment. We had a day off of school and my two buddies and I decided, oh, once our parents go to work, we're going to go drinking. We were 15, drank way too much, friend had to get a stomach pump. I mean, we got wow. caught and everything. And, and I got sick. And and that night, you know, after we got caught, I was I was home and I'm, I'm in the bathroom and I'm throwing up and my father's screaming at me. My oldest brother is standing outside of the bathroom. My father leaves after he's been yelling at me. And, and my brother looks at me and goes, didn't you know dad marked the bottles, you know, the liquor bottles? And I was like, no. I go, why didn't you tell me? Right. Older brother, aren't you supposed to look out for me? Right. I'm like, why did you not tell me? And my brother looked at me and goes, no one warned me. <laughs> I was like, so like, that's all the more reason. Like, you're supposed to protect me. Like, I'm your younger brother. Not only am I your younger brother. We have the same birthday. I was your birthday present. It's a great birthday present. <laughs> yeah. If you ask my brother, he'd tell you he'd still rather have a puppy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like that was one. And then um, again, when I was 16, when I took my road test, I failed my first road test. I came to a, a rolling stop at a stop sign. That was the only thing I did wrong, but that was enough for me to fail. And when I got home, my, you know, my brother's like, oh, how'd you do? I'm like, I failed. I'm like, how'd you fail? And I said, came to a rolling stop at a stop sign. And my brother goes, why didn't you come to a full stop? And I said, you told me the stop signs with white rims were optional. <laughs> I believed them. I'm like, again, my older brother, you're supposed to be looking out for me. I'm like, so it's your fault that I, I failed my, my road test. I had to wait a few months to, to actually get a driver's license. So yeah, these were like the things that, that my brothers did to me. I was just there for everybody's abuse. It's actually amazing. I turned out as normal as I did. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Yeah, so those those were some fun ones. I mean, I've got other family that have done some other crazy things. So um, my grandfather, this was this was a good one. We went to a, a deli around Spring Valley in Rockland County. I mean, it was near Spring Valley, so you know, in that area, there's there's a lot of Hasidic Jews. Yeah, my my grandparents used to at least live there. Oh, okay. So yeah, so you know they, the they were Hasidic themselves, but they they like spoke Yiddish and they knew how to like interact with them. Oh, okay. So yeah, my my grandfather didn't. He didn't know how to interact with them. But we're in the deli and there were there were two Hasidic men in the deli. And we're just standing there. I'm with my brother, one of my brothers, my grandfather. And all of a sudden my grandfather just goes, oh, I'll be right back. Stay here. And he walks up to the two Hasidic guys. And there's other Hasidics in the in the deli. Like it was all Hasidics and us. And my grandfather goes, you know, he goes, listen, I'm Jewish. So it has nothing to do with that. He goes, but man, you guys got to wear reflectors at night because I'm going to hit one of you and think it's a speed bump. And my brother and I are just looking like, oh, my God, We're like, what the hell is grandpa doing? Like, what's going on? Like, I don't usually get embarrassed. I mean, I have you know these embarrassing stories, but I, I'm not a person. Got, that I got embarrassed by because I was like, oh, my God, I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, you're like the only Jewish anti-Semite I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> you know, telling him these things. But he was just like, yeah, where were any? And just tell him, wear reflectors, you know, just carry flashlight. Like, <laughs> Just giving him safety tips in the middle of a deli. I'm like, they're going to spit in our food. I'm like, I'm not eating. Can we go to McDonald's? Like, because this is just not for me. They're so receptive to uh, safety tips. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're so receptive to anything coming yeah. from a non-Pacific. Well, what was their reaction to that? It was a combination of like being horrified and incredibly pissed off um, is kind of what it was like, which is why like my brother and I are like, I don't, you know, we never knew Hasidics to be violent, but yeah. we probably shouldn't stay around and find out. Like, <laughs> like, like, cause like I said, we were the only non Hasidics in this deli at the time. And after my grandfather started doing this, uh, like my brother and I, we were like expecting, like in a movie, we were, we were waiting for one of them to get up 
and like walk over and close and lock the front door. You know, like the scene with the bikers in a, in a Bronx tale, but with Hasidics, right? You know, they just lock the door and then like another 20 Hasidics with baseball bats come out of the back room and just take care of us. Like that's what my brother and I thought we were like about to get into. And fortunately we, we didn't because looking around, I was like, they're old. I could outrun them. So I'm like, I- I'm good. I'm like, they might get grandpa, but I can outrun them. But that really was probably the most embarrassed I've ever been just because I couldn't believe he would actually say that to a, to a group of Hasidics. I'll give you another, this, this again, isn't so much embarrassing, but it's just a funny one with my grandfather. When my brothers graduated college, my parents let them have a party, keg in the basement, all that stuff. My brother's friends were down there and like, oh, I'm so drunk, I'm wasted. And my grandfather was just walking around telling everybody, you're not really drunk until you're lying on the ground, gripping the earth with the tips of your fingers to keep from falling off. This is what he's telling 21-year-olds at a party. This, this is an 80-something-year-old man, and this is what he's telling 20-something-year-olds. Sounds like he's had some experience with that. He never told us about it, but he probably had a bit of a, of a wild past. Um, he was not afraid to say anything to anybody. Or, um, you know, there was another time my parents were going away, and they were leaving my brothers and I home for the week ourselves. My grandparents lived like five minutes from us. And we're sitting around the table and, and my parents are like, you know, look, if you need anything, call grandma and grandpa and whatever. And my grandfather looks at my brother and he's like, Mike, you going to have a party while they're gone? <laughs> and we're like, no, no, I have, we, we were planning one, but we're like, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to do that. And he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the keys to his apartment and he throws the keys on the table to my brother. And he goes, here, use our place. He goes, I got two rules. You clean the sheets when you're done and you get me a redhead. <laughs> and my grandmother's sitting right there. And this is like the crap he used to say. And my grandmother just laughed and she's like, oh, oh, oh Dave. And like, she didn't care. Like they can be embarrassing, but those two, they were, they were actually a lot of fun. I wish I had them as my grandparents. <laughs> yeah. Had a lot, lot, lot of fun parties. I was like, yeah, my grandpa's cooler than half my friends. I'm like, yeah. Let's bring grandpa over. I'm like, plus he's over 21. He could buy us beer. I'm like, it works perfectly. As long as there's no Hasidim. Yeah, right. Just, just let's stay out of New Square or Curious Joel or, or whatever, wherever they've moved to now. So uh, let's see. What I got? Uh, uh, when I had a great aunt that used to try to set me up on a date with my cousin. Whoa. Her granddaughter, my uh, my great aunt, so it would be my second cousin. She would constantly, why don't you date Shara? I'm like, because she's family? <laughs> you should date. Why don't you want to date her? I'm like, because our kids will have three heads. I'm like, what <laughs> What are you trying to do? I'm like, you live in New York. We're not from the Ozarks. Like, what are you trying to arrange? What, what like, like, redneck arranged marriage are you trying to start here? Insane. I, I have no idea what she was doing. Found out years later that my cousin was adopted. Okay. Which might have been something to start with. Um, yeah. You know, you're not blood relative, so it's okay. But every time, I didn't know she was adopted. I was like, you should date her. You should date her. We were at some Passover dinner or holiday family gathering. And she looked at my cousin. And she's like, you two would have nice kids. <laughs> I was the only one that didn't know she was adopted. <laughs> like everybody else knew. Nobody else told me. And she's telling me this. And I'm like looking around. I'm like, why is nobody else saying anything? I'm like, freedom's out of her freaking mind. Like nobody else is saying anything to her. Yeah. So that that was, you know, slightly embarrassing as well. Tell you one uh, my wife did a couple of years ago. This was kind of embarrassing for me. We were car shopping and we took a car for a test drive. So I was driving, she's in the front seat, salesman's behind us. And you know, normally when two people go in to, to buy a car, you play good cop, bad cop. 
Yeah, one's a good cop, one's a bad cop. My wife plays good cop, bad cop by herself. Hmm. She doesn't even need me. It's it's like split personality. <laughs> so we're I'm I'm taking this car for the test drive, and the guys ask me what I think. I was like, no, I'm like it's comfortable. I like the way it drives, it handles. And then he he asked my wife, and my wife just. She goes, oh, yeah. She goes, no, it's a really smooth ride. I like it. I don't know why anybody would buy a new car. It's a waste of money. They lose their value. Like, what? I don't know what people are like. She would something nice followed right up by something horrible about the car or the price. I felt like I'm looking in the rearview mirror and I can see the salesman behind me, like blinking, help me in Morse code, (laughs) like, get me the hell out of here. Like, he was horrified. He didn't know. He like stop talking to my wife because he was like, he didn't know how to deal with her. So I'm talking to him and my wife's still playing good cop, bad cop by herself. That one I'll admit I was a bit embarrassed by. Not so much for me just because I felt so bad for the guy behind us. Yeah. That poor, that poor guy, that poor salesman. Poor guy had no idea what he was getting into when he got into the backseat of that car. He he sure earned his commission. No, we didn't buy the car. So he didn't even get a commission. Oh Oh my God. He just completely (laughs) wasted his time. I wouldn't even go back to that dealership. Uh, I don't even know if the dry, uh, if the salesman still works there, but I'm not going <laughs> You probably drove him out. It's like, I need another career after, after dealing with this crazy person. Probably. Uh, I was like, my God, I'm like, Jesus. I was like, I'm like we left and my wife's like, what do you think? I'm like, I'm not going car shopping with you anymore. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, it's your own damn car. She's like, why? She's like, what did I do? I thought that was fun. I'm like, you know what was fun? <laughs> like for who? For you or for him? I'm like, hey, it wasn't fun for him. It wasn't for him. Yeah. Uh, but she does that a lot. She, she'll she'll say one thing and then contradict herself with something right afterwards. We, we were sitting around. It was warm. So she turned a fan on, like a little portable fan, just turned it on, blowing on her, and then grabbed a blanket because she was cold. I'm like, do you not see the irony here? I was like, yeah. I'm like, do you not see the irony? I'm like, are you Turn playing the fan. good cop, bad cop with, with the heat now by yourself? I'm like, I, what are you doing? Like, so, yeah. Very inconsistent. Um, she doesn't always say what she means. I've learned to accept it. <laughs> it's, yep. it's married it's life it's married life yeah. I mean, whatever keeps uh, her happy you know just <laughs> well you know it's like the old expression goes right happy wife i sleep through the night exactly <laughs> so that's that's it one she's happy i'm good but yeah the good cop bad cop by herself that was that was a fun one i'll give you um this this is probably again one of the most embarrassing things that happened to me when i was a kid about three years old maybe four we were out someplace. I was, we were in Brooklyn and I had an accident. I shit my pants. Okay. Um, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, it's going to happen, right? You know? Yeah. So my, my uncle, my uncle Jerry goes, no worries. I'll take care of you. Pick me up, put me in the back of his van, drove me back to his house. It brought me to the bathroom, cleaned me up, gave me clothes to wear. I was four years old when that happened. I never heard the end of it. Every time. <laughs> Every time I would see my Uncle Jerry, no matter where it was, no matter the occasion, it was always, hey, you remember the time you shit yourself and I cleaned you up? <laughs> like, it didn't matter. It could be Thanksgiving dinner. It could be at, like, my grandmother's funeral. <laughs> he did it at my wedding when he made a toast. Oh, God. Um, you know, like, <laughs> it didn't matter. This was just a thing. Yeah, I remember when you shit yourself and I cleaned you up, like... Is that the highlight of your life? You you cleaned up a four-year-old boy that crapped himself. Like, that's the highlight. Like, so your life was like here, you know, and the highlight was cleaning up a four-year-old that shit himself. And then it's been downhill for the last 40. Like, you have grandchildren and kids, but yet this is all you talk about. So that was, 
you know, embarrassed. Just the fact of him, like, at the wedding, like, I don't want you to shit your... Like, <laughs> like, this is your toast. Like, most people, like, I want to wish you, you know, lots of love and luck and, you know, great future. And, you know, and his toast is, remember when you shit yourself. You better hope he doesn't outlive you, because if he's at your funeral, if he's just giving you <laughs> eulogy, it's going to be like, this guy Greg, he sh- I, sh- yeah. I made he shit his pants when he was a kid. That'll be your whole eulogy. It's how everyone will remember you. It'll, it'll be on your tombstone. Nah, I could be remembered in worse ways, so I'll take it. True. I mean, considering some of the other crap I've done. Yeah, but you know what? If it's in my eulogy, I'll be dead. I don't care. I can say, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter to me. But yeah, just every time I see it, that's it. Um, sometimes it was even the first thing out of his mouth. Like, hey, Jerry, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, remember when you shake it? Like, it just the first, it didn't matter. It was at some point that was coming out of his mouth. And like, my brothers and I would take bets. Like, gee, how long into dinner do you think until Jerry says it? Like, we, would, we would gamble on it. Um, and we would have rules. Like, you know, like, you can't hint at it. You can't bring it up. You can't, you know, goad him into it. He's got to do it on his own. And we would just wait to see how long it would take. And it was, like I said, sometimes it was immediate. Sometimes it was, you know, the middle of the dinner and sometimes it was, you know, before you left. So it was just, yeah, it was, it made family dinners fun because we were just like, you know, what's he going to do? And you got to cash in on it too, which is nice. <laughs> on occasion, you know, if my brothers actually decided to pay up. You know, I would oh be my the other God. Like, oh, I had my fingers crossed behind my back. <laughs> Seriously. Like, or we didn't shake hands on it. <laughs> it's an oral contract. We're in New York. It's legally fine. Judge Judy told me that. So Exactly. Scout's on Yeah. It. Yeah, it's because, like, you're my brother. Like, of all the people that are going to cheat me, it's going to be you? Like, they're the again? same guys that are putting your head through a wall, in all in all fairness. Yeah, but, you know, probably in all fairness, I probably deserved it. I probably did something to deserve getting my head through the wall. Who knows? Tried to, you know, play a prank on them or screw around while they were on the phone with, like, a girl they liked or, you know, something <laughs> like that. I'm sure I did stuff like that. I learned those tricks from my cousin. My cousin used to do that to my grandmother all the time. He used to screw with her when she was on the phone, just for his own entertainment. My grandmother, my other grandmother, not the one I was talking about earlier, her and her sister had a 30-year fight. They didn't speak for 30 years. I have no idea what it was about. When we used to ask my grandmother what it was about, she didn't even remember what the cause of the fight was. All they knew was that they were mad at each other. 30 years. They And I'm not exaggerating that number. 30 years. We used to tell my grandmother, because, you know, it's older people when they shrink and they get that hump on the back we're like yeah but like you know why you got that like that's from carrying a grudge for 30 years you got a hump on your back but they eventually my grandmother and her sister eventually made up they, they reckoned nice and my aunt lived down in florida and my grandmother lived on long island and we would be at my cousin's house you know out on long island and this is back when you know you used to wait until after six o'clock to make a long distance call because it was cheaper and in the early days of call waiting when you had you know, the old rotary phone and for call waiting, you had to, you know, press down on the button. So my grandmother would be on the phone with her sister that didn't speak for 30 years. And my cousin thought it would be fun to go upstairs and pick up the phone and just press a button, like just hit one of the numbers. And so it would beep. And my grandmother was like, oh, that's call waiting. Hold on. And she would go and to hang up, you know, to click over. And she'd end up hanging up on her sister. My cousin was actually trying to get them back into another 30-year grudge. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> he was trying to like, convince my aunt that my grandma just hung up on her. So, yeah, he used to just constantly abuse my grandma. Like, that's where like I learned a lot of my practical jokes that I would try to play on my brothers, which led to me being put through walls. But, yeah, he used to just constantly abuse her. And when my cousin had kids, my cousin turned the garage into an apartment 
for my grandmother, just a you know, one bedroom apartment. And there was a door from my cousin's house into my grandmother's. And when my cousin had kids, they were three and four, two and three, whatever they were. And my cousin used to be like to his kids, like, hey, let's play what's in man's fridge and send his kids running into my grandmother's apartment, open up the fridge and just start throwing things out of the fridge <laughs> onto the floor. And then they'd come running back into into the house with my cousins uh, and laughing with my and my cousin's hysterical laughing. And then he'd be like, "Let's play. Guess what's in Nan's dresser? And the kids would <laughs> to her bedroom and open the dresser and bras and panties and whatever, just throwing them all over." And my cousin again would just be giggling like a like a school kid. And my grandmother'd be like, "Brett, knock it off!" Like yelling at him. And then he'd send them back in, like she'd just finished like fixing the fridge. And now she's in the bedroom putting her clothes back. Like, let's go see what's in Nan's fridge. And they go running back in. It was like, this was the post-dinner entertainment. This was life at my cousin's house. They'd eat dinner. They would do this for about 40 minutes to my grandmother. And then the kids would have a bath and go to bed. Like, every night, this is what went on. So mean. <laughs> you see, he was insane. I, th- I really do think that my cousin was part feral. <laughs> like, he, would just, he would just do this shit. He threatened a DJ at a bar mitzvah because he didn't want to get up and I like dance. That. Well, like my, my cousins and I and my brothers, we're not dancers. We don't dance. It's not our thing. And we were in a bar mitzvah and they put us at the table right next to the dance floor. So we're sitting there and the DJ's coming around like table to table. Like if you want to look, you know, wish them, you know, a hundred years of love and luck, shout into the microphone or get up on the dance floor. And they come over to our table and we're all just like sitting with our drinks. We're like, get away. No, like, yeah, good. We don't want any part of this. And, and the guy wouldn't leave. And, and the DJ's finally like right by my cousin. He's like, if you want to wish, you know, get up on the dance floor and wish them love and luck. He's like, what do you got to say to him? And throws the microphone into my cousin's like face and just over the, the, the loudspeaker for everybody. My cousin goes, if you don't get the microphone out of my fucking face, it's about to go up your ass sideways and you will never get it back. And just everybody <laughs> could hear it. And he was 100% serious. Like, he just didn't care. He had no filter. He didn't care. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to be around. What did the DJ do? Did you just, did you just move on? Hung his head and moved on. Just, like, got away from it. He never came back near us again. Like, when they were doing, like, any of the games or, like, balloon animals, he stayed on the other side of the dance floor. Smart man. Away from us. Which, actually, this reminds me of another embarrassing story that my cousin did to me. So here's a good one. We were at my aunt's funeral. Uh, my aunt was a short lady. Probably when my aunt died, she was maybe five foot two. She was she was really small. And we're in the funeral home, and they're going through the service. And and in the like the back row is where I was sitting with my two cousins and, and my brothers. And I was sitting next to my cousin. And I don't know if you've ever seen these. They they were bigger when I was a kid. It was like this. It's this little plastic piece about this big. It's like a whistle. And you blow into it, it just goes, Wee! like, really yeah. loud. My cousin had one of those for some reason. So we're sitting in the back of the funeral, and they finish the service. And the first thing, the pallbearers go, and they pick up the coffin. And they pick up the coffin, and my cousin looks at me, and he goes, did you hear that? Oh, no, what? He goes, when they picked up the coffin, you can hear Molly sliding back and forth inside. So I start laughing, because funeral or not, it's funny. Yeah. And I start laughing. Everybody turns around. I'm the only one laughing. Like, so now they think I'm just sitting there laughing at my aunt's funeral. Then as, they, as they're carrying the, the coffin out of the home to the hearse, my cousin pulls that little whistle out of his jacket pocket. 
shoves it back in his pocket and just, and then he turns to me, he's like, what the, like, angry like a dick. So now they think I'm laughing at her funeral and I'm blowing a whistle. And this, to him, was fun. Looking back on it now, yeah, it's really funny. Not when you're sitting there going through it. That was pretty embarrassing because then, you know, I'm standing in the cemetery getting screamed at by my father. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with you? I raised you better than this. I was like, well, I'm like, see, you should have had the mailman raise me. Exactly. He would have he taught you some manners. <laughs> I was like, yeah, the mailman, you know, I'm blaming him. He was definitely feral. Um, trying to think uh, any other embarrassing things family members have done. My bar mitzvah was at West Point at the Thayer Hotel on West Point. Yeah. Well, for, you know, for other people that might not know West Point, the, you know, U.S. Military Academy. So there's soldiers all over. It's, we're in the Thayer Hotel and it's the reception and everything. And my cousin, different cousin, he's getting drunk. And what we didn't know at the time was he was carrying a gun. Right here in you know one of those holster cop like holsters here under his jacket, and he was just getting drunker and drunker, and he's showing his gun off to people like it's still in the holster. He's showing it off. I think at one point he like pulled it out. I think he tried spinning it on his face. Like we were God. like, we were waiting for him to start popping off balloons. Like that's really what we thought he was going to start doing. But then we're just sitting there like, this is not at like some hotel ballroom. It's West Point. It's West Point. Like, look around. There's military police. There's generals. There's my uncle was actually post commander at West Point. I'm like, these people aren't going to mess around with you. Like, they can and they will shoot you. And then we're just like, well, like, honestly, if they shoot him, it's not a big loss. <laughs> it's like, you know, we could do without how. Like, you know, what, what do we see once every five years? That's eh, not a big deal. But yeah, that was, again, not embarrassing, but like, moron. Like, I know, my God. What a worse place to bring a gun to. It's not just bringing the gun. It's the fact that he's yanking it. He's drunk and he's yanking it out and, you know, spinning it on his finger. Like, this is not going to end well. Like, if they shoot you, great. No problem. But, like, I didn't want him shooting anybody else. Um, no firefights. Yeah, we didn't want any firefights breaking out in the middle of my bar mitzvah. Although it would have made it a lot more memorable. True. So, yeah, that was uh, one cousin. And the only other story I could think of is my great aunt. She used to come visit us a lot. And, you know, growing up, I was a little on the uh, wussier side. Like, I got picked on a little bit um, when I was, you know, a small kid. I'm brave enough to admit that now. So I remember one time, like, kids were picking on me. And I went into the house. My aunt, my aunt was there, and she was in the kitchen. She's like, what's the matter? And I was like, oh, they're picking on me, and, you know, whatever. And I didn't want to go back outside. And she would open the window up. And she did this for my brother, too. She would open the window up. And she hung her head out the window and she would yell down the street to the kids, if you don't stop picking on him, I'm going to come out there and behead you. That's where she started. It wasn't like, I'm going to talk to your parents. It wasn't like, you know, whatever. It was like her starting point was, I'm going to come out and cut your head off. <laughs> like, where do you go from there? Like, It's very intense. Yeah. Like, like, like that's tough to deescalate at that point. You've just threatened to decapitate like a group of seven, eight-year-olds. <laughs> like this is like, but that was her go-to. That was her initial go-to. Like that was her starting point. Was I'll behead you, and she would yell it down the street. Neighbors would hear her, and eventually they were, you know, after a certain number of times, like all right, that's just Schwartz's crazy aunt. But in the beginning, they were like, they were, one of the neighbors actually called my parents and was like, they didn't know it was my aunt. They're like, you may want to look into getting another babysitter for the kids. <laughs> and my mom's like, what? What happened? And, they told her the story and she's like, oh, she's like, that's just our aunt. Like, don't mind her. I mean, it was, you know, 
the eighties. So you can get, get away with a hell of a lot more than you can now. But again, it was just, a, a, like I said, the fact is that was her starting point. Her starting point was I'm going to cut your head off. There was no way she would do it. I mean, yeah, of course she had polio. She couldn't bend a leg. So the kids could outrun her. She would never catch them. So they were, they were safe, but yeah, that was her, her starting point. And yeah, I, I, I think those are like the most embarrassing family stories that I have. Well, it definitely seems like you've had a pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty nutty family. Well, I think we all have in some ways. We all we all have our our nuts uh, hanging off the family tree, but uh, that's true. Yeah, some are just worse than others. Hey, you know what? The, the good thing is it it does provide for a lot of material for doing exactly. Stand-up. You owe a whole career to it. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, working on that whole second career, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of material there. It's just you know. They always ask, like every time, like yeah, you know, when they when they come to a show, they're like, "Are you doing stuff about me tonight?" I'm like, "Probably." I'm like, "Well, we'll see what happens." I was like, "Who knows?" I did a show a while ago on Zoom, and I had a bunch of family on it. My cousin, yeah, uh, again, different cousin. She uh, she texted me afterwards. She's like, "Oh, he was really good." She's like, "I love the stuff about your father." <laughs> She's like, "I could picture every one of those," and I was like, "Yeah," like, like burned like, into oh, my memory. Please, I'm scarred from it. So yeah, I was like, you know, look, like if the material's there, I'm taking it. But they're okay with it. The yeah, you know, my family's okay with it. They don't have a problem with it. They all have good senses of humor now. Good to have a family of good sports. Yeah, yeah, they are. They, they are. I'll give them that. So although if I would have been doing this the stand up stuff probably 25 years ago when I you know if I would have started when I was younger like in college, I don't think my dad would have been in such a good sport about it. He's developed a sense of humor, a, a better sense of humor as he's gotten older and retired and been able to relax a lot more. But yeah, 25 years ago, if we would have been making these jokes about my father and uh, his family, he, uh, yeah, he wouldn't be happy about it. But it's, yeah, it's all good now. So just be like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about my real father, the mailman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, my father, he's okay with it now because he goes, oh, he's like, I'm just banking on it so that when you can become big, you could take care of us in our retirement. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, all right. I'm like, I, absolutely. I'm like, but you know, don't forget my oldest brother's an orthopedic surgeon. You might be better off with him. Yeah. I think that's um, a safer bet. Yeah. I was like, you know, I'm more than happy to help you out if I can get to that point. But you know, <laughs> he's like a 403 B and I'm like a scratch off lottery card. Like essentially that's the gamble you're taking. And for me, I'm probably like a dollar scratch off card, which won't have a very big reward at the end. Yeah. So, um, I, I just, I was curious one thing I see your, uh, your social studies teacher. How's that like impacted your comedy dealing with all these like kids? Oh yeah. Um, I, I have a whole, uh, bit I do on teaching and it's funny. Like some of the stuff that I do people, you know, after it's like, Oh, that's really funny that, you know, this joke or that. And I'm just looking at it, but yeah, it's, it's the sad thing is I didn't write it. It's a hundred percent true like i do a thing about you know stupid things kids say and do and how dumb they are and again a lot of the things that they say that that i you know talk about they're all things that they really say like a kid who asked when did the war of 1812 begin <laughs> in 1909 <laughs> yeah i'm like i was like seriously i'm like how do you even ask that like i don't even want to answer it. like i don't even want to talk to you anymore like can i send you back three grades yeah. <laughs> Like I, I, I tell that and, and people are like, ah, it's really funny. I'm like, that's really true. Like so he actually said that to me. So then I, I do another joke. I'm like, you know, I'm like, but there are the, you know, I do have successes. And I said, you know, I helped this one girl 
double her test scores from a four to an eight, which again <laughs> is a true story. This, this girl, she took a test and she got a four on it. Out of a hundred? Out of a hundred. And the next test I gave, she got an eight. So I was like, well, it's, she doubled her score. It's, That's true. It's, it's a dramatic improvement from where she was. And the funny thing was when she finished the test before I graded it, when she handed it in, I just said, oh, I'm like, how do you think you did? Because I asked all of that. I'm like, oh, how do you think you did? She goes, oh, I thought this was easier than the last one. I was like, okay, great. I graded it. It was apparently it was a bit easier. I mean, she did yeah. better on it. But again, those are that's a true story. Like the girl did go from a four to an eight. So well, next time she gets a twelve, you'll you'll be tri- you'll triple her score. <laughs> exactly. You'd be an even I'm better like, teacher. Exactly. I'm like right because then I can like, look. I got her from a four to a twelve. She tripled her scores. Like yeah, there's an improvement there. And basically, like I said, all the all the material I have about it, it's it's probably about a a full five to six minute bit on teaching that I have right now. And I have some other things that I'm parts that I'm working on. And eventually, I'll probably get it up like 15, 20 minutes. But yeah, again, everything, it's its all true. I'm not making these stories up. Like, uh, again, I had a kid, we, we told him that seedless grapes are genetically modified to not have seeds. And his response to that was, is that like chicken and boneless chicken? Chickens with no bones. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm like, which I'm like, you know, they're the easier chickens to catch. I was like, but, you <laughs> yeah. know. So I, I use that in, 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 in my act he really said that. I mean, it's just when I talk about some of the, the, the ridiculous things students have done, they're all true stories. I had a student, she was an 11th grade student. She was failing all of her classes and she brought in a doctor's note saying that she had an inoperable brain tumor and she had six months to live. It, no, it was a legitimate doctor's note. It had the letterhead signature. I mean, everything. It, if you looked at this, you're like, oh. so her guidance counselor called all her teachers in and we're, and we're, she shared this letter with us and we're all just like, holy shit, like she's going to die. Like, listen, she's got six months to live. Let's just give her 65s. Let's pass her. Let's at least let her have high school graduation, right? That's the least we could do. Yeah. We're all like, fine, like, like change the grade, give her 65. A week later, we get called back to the guidance counselor's office. The guidance counselor's like, yeah, I just want you to know the doctor's note was forged. The girl forged a doctor's note saying she had an inoperable brain tumor so that we would change her grade, which we did. And then one of the other teachers had to call the girls home about something and was talking to the girl's mother and was like, oh, I'm so sorry about what you're going through. And the mother's like, what are you talking about? What are we going through? And she's like, oh, your daughter with the brain tumor. The mother's like, what, what brain tumor are you talking about? And the girl completely made it up. So we're just like at that point, like, all right, her grade's going back to a 20. <laughs> but that, like, I, I have a joke about that. Like, again, it's just, it's a true story. But what would have happened in six months and she was still alive? What would she have done then? I don't think she thought this too too far out. She would have at least graduated high school. Cause oh, right, because right, she was a senior. Than, we, right. She was a senior and we had less than six months to go in the year. So she would have gotten out of high school. Like, but this was her scam to get out of high school was taking an inoperable brain. <laughs> if only um, she had put those like creative genius into like her schoolwork. Exactly. Rather than making up these scams, she would be an A plus student. She'd be going to like Harvard. High honor roll. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So it's, yeah, there's a just a ton of material to teach about dealing with parents, you know, just crazy things that, that parents have said to me or, or being threatened by parents. Um, oh, that's got to be the worst. Yeah, I laugh at them. I'm like, go ahead. I'm like, take a shot. I'm like, I actually did tell that to a parent once when he threatened me. It was during a like a parent teacher conference, 
and he got up like he was going to hit me. And I just sat at my desk. I'm like, I said, go ahead. I said, take a shot. I was like, because then the law says I can do whatever I want to you. And he nice. backed down. I mean, like, like I'm not a fighter, but I know enough, like, you can intimidate certain people. So that's what I was kind of doing there. But, yeah, like, I had a religious group try to get me fired. Like, an entire religious group try to get me fired. What did you do? I was teaching, again, when I was teaching high school, I was teaching about the trails going west in the late 1800s, and specifically the Mormons. And I said the Mormons started in, in upstate New York, and then they went to Illinois and to Missouri and eventually out to, to Utah. And kid asked, why did they move so much? I said, well, they were persecuted for their beliefs. Well, what were their beliefs? And so I talked a little bit about the history of, of the Mormon religion. And, and I said the, the big issue was polygamy, plural marriages. And this, it was in our textbook, like in, in the history textbook that we used, it says that they were persecuted for polygamy. So it's not like I'm telling them, one, anything that's not true or anything that's not in the, the approved textbook. A, a kid asked if, if they still practice polygamy. And I said, there are some that do. I said, there's a small minority that do. And, yeah, and I made the correlation. I said, the majority of, of Mormons are law-abiding citizens, small minority that, that practice polygamy. I said, just like the majority of Muslims, law-abiding citizens, small minority that are terrorists, you know, or Christians, yeah. law-abiding people, small minority that bomb abortion clinics. Like I made the, the point of telling, happened to be a kid in class who was Mormon, uh -oh. who wasn't paying uh -oh. attention, went home, told his mother, I said, all Mormons practice polygamy. She didn't call the school. She called the local Mormon church. Oh, God. And they called the school. And uh, I got called down to the principal's office and I was there with the head of my department, uh, who, I, who I was good friends with. And the principal was like, this is not acceptable. I'm like, I did nothing wrong. I told the principal what I said. I said, I did nothing wrong. I said, I will show you our textbook where it says polygamy. I said, I will go get you the Mormon holy book and I will show you where it talks about polygamy. I said, nothing wrong. And first the principal goes, because they want you to issue an apology. I said, okay. Here's my apology. I'm sorry the Mormons believe in polygamy. <laughs> there you go. I was like, that's it. I was like, that was the best I'm giving you. And I look over the head of my department's laughing because he knew this was just a ridiculous. And then uh, the principal wouldn't let it go. And, and finally, I turned to the head of my department. I go, watch this. And I look at the principal. I go, you know, maybe they're just coming after me because I'm Jewish. <laughs> Play the anti-Semitism card. Absolutely. And his jaw hit the hit the floor. And then I looked at him and I said, yeah, I go in the Hudson Valley of New York. Do you want to battle between the Mormons and the Jews? I said, because honestly, who do you think is going to win this? Yeah, one? exactly. I was like, so I'm like, do you want me to go call the local temple? I'm like, because I can. It's a good thing you're not in Utah. Well, yeah, you got to, you know, you got to know your location. So that was turned out to be the end of it. They were not willing to have the battle. But I, I, I do this in my, my act. And, and the joke is. Yeah, I'm like, I just told them if they wanted to complain, they could come in and we'll have a parent, parent, parent teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the teaching is, is just ripe with material. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Before we go, I just wanted to ask, um, you know, if there's any way uh, people can find, learn more about you or see some of your comedy. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm on Facebook um, and I recently just created a Twitter account. So it's at Greg Schwa Comedy. Thank you so much for being a guest and tell your, uh, tell your dad, the mailman, I said, hi. I will. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Would you like to be a guest? 
please send a story about your embarrassing family member to embarrassingfamily at gmail.com.